You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit creeksidecommunity.org. Good morning. Happy New Year. I'm Greg Arthur, one of the pastors here, and because I'm the family pastor, I'm not usually the one to preach on Sunday mornings. Instead, I earn my keep um, essentially meeting people one-on-one, small groups, big groups, counseling sessions or retreats, weddings, funerals, pretty much anywhere with anyone, to talk together about Jesus and how His Word answers every question about life in this fallen world, about marriage and parenting, work and rest, community and solitude, sin and death, salvation and new life, science and technology, about the Niners. But... (laughs) but not the Raiders because they left town twice. Unbelievable. <laughs> anyway, to get, I get to do the one thing that I really love to do, which is talk about Jesus and His Word. So I'm really happy to speak this morning. And now while I still have your ear, this spring we're going to run a little series of Sunday morning seminars called Jesus in the Room. Uh, the first will be Marriage with, with Jesus in the Room, starting in mid-February, followed by Parenting with Jesus in the Room in April. And they'll be during the second service. Schedules are going to be in the bulletin. Some of it's in the bulletin already. I looked at it. And you'll be able to sign up online. Space is limited. So as they say in late night TV, don't delay. (laughs) And although I don't usually speak on Sundays, every once in a while, the earth stands still and it's my turn. (laughs) And you might not know it, but it turns out that the earth stands still every last Sunday of the year. The one right after Christmas That's my time slot and has been my time slot for a decade. And while technically, because of some weird calendar math this year, this is the first Sunday of the year, just for this morning, we're going to treat it today as if it was the last Sunday of the last year. Second slide, please. Also, you might not know it because I just realized it myself as I was doing this, but for years now, on the last Sunday of the year, I've been going through a sermon series that I'm now calling Preaching to Yourself. And I started it the last Sunday of 2017 with what to say to yourself when you're apathetic in life called Seek the Lord and Live. And that's from Amos 5. And here's the list so far. Seek the Lord, forgive like the Lord, wait on the Lord, rest in the Lord, focus on the Lord, and today bless the Lord. And I'm entitling today's talk, Bless the Lord, O My Soul, taken from Psalm 103. My modest goal for today, for all of us, is that we'll memorize some or all of Psalm 103. Okay? Next. Now, the idea of preaching to yourself comes from a classic Christian book by the renowned British pastor, D.M. Lloyd-Jones, called Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Its Cure. His observation about human nature is that we're prone to listen to that voice in ourselves that is endlessly anxious about life, that condemns and criticizes, that overplans and overanalyzes and overjudges, that talks of catastrophe and failure, that says so what and whatever, and repeats all the lies of the world. And because we passively permit ourselves to listen to our anxious thoughts, we're dragged down in spirit to what the old saints used to call the long dark night of the soul. Here's Lloyd-Jones' explanation. Have you realized 
that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. And because we're made to respond to whatever we hear, like how sheep respond to their master, and especially what we hear ourselves say to ourselves, Lloyd-Jones says one of the great truths to live by is to refuse to concede the center stage in our minds to anxious thoughts, but instead take hold of the stage, preach the life-giving Word of God to ourselves. The, this is him going on. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself. Preach to yourself. Question yourself. Talk to yourself instead of listening to yourself. Preach Jesus and his word to yourself instead of allowing every anxious thought that comes to mind to take center stage. Preach to yourself and prove to yourself that you really do have faith in Jesus the kind of faith that makes you hire yourself on as your own pastor. Preach to yourself because you control you. Preach to yourself more and thereby listen to your anxious thoughts less. All right, as we dive into this, let's pray for the Lord to take hold of our minds and especially of my mind. All right, let's pray. My Lord, thank you for this time, for your goodness, love, and your mercy. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you give me the right words to say, the ones that you want to say. And I pray that you'll give us all ears to hear and uh, minds to comprehend and hearts to obey. For we depend upon you for everything, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, Lloyd-Jones did not come up with this idea himself. He just noted something that also once caught my eye and may have caught yours as well. Because there are a few places in the Bible where things are stated in a peculiar way in a way that we don't normally talk. And this is one of those peculiar passages that first caught Lloyd-Jones's eye. And it starts off as a normal prayer. From me to God. Prayer, conversation. I'm talking to God. And he says, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From deceitful and unjust men deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you cast me off? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I'll praise you with the lyre, O oh God, my God. And so far, so good. That's a normal prayer from me to God. But then it changes into this inner dialogue between me and my soul. Next one. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. The writer of this psalm prays to the Lord God about his troubles and discloses how bad he feels about it. He cries out, vindicate me, O oh God. He confesses that he is so downcast by his troubles that he even blames God for it, saying, you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you cast me off? I, I personally love prayer like this. I love it that it's recorded forever in the Bible because it gives us all room to be human before the Almighty God. 
A prayer like this means that we don't have to have the right things to say. And we don't have to have it all figured out before we come to the Lord. Instead, we can just speak our mind to the Lord, who's big enough to take it. Crazy and troubled as our minds are, at any time, even in our day of trouble, when the pain and confusion of life make it hard to see anything clear. I love prayer like this because this is what an honest, desperate man would say to the Lord. For the desperate man has nothing, nothing except hope in the Lord. For he, the Lord is the hope of sinners. He is the hope of the sick and the afflicted. He is the one refuge in this fallen world for the troubled and the dispirited, for those who've shipwrecked their lives, who are lonely and downcast, who feel guilty and condemned. We've all been there, and we will all be there again when this life makes no sense. Vindicate me, O God, we cry out. However, the, Paul, the psalmist then changes his focus. He's talking, taking all his troubles to the Lord, and then he stops in mid-thought and turns on himself and he says to himself, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? And before his soul can answer, he says to himself, self, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. He stops his crying out to the Lord and instead he preaches to himself right there. He takes a hold of himself and he pushes the anxious thought off the center stage and he walks up to the mic and he says to himself just what he needs to hear, hope in God, he says to himself. Okay, now, being cast down isn't the only situation in life to preach to yourself about, nor is hope in God the only thing to say. The specifics aren't the point of this. The point is that there is a constant need to preach the word to ourselves. For we're always listening to whatever anxious thought comes to mind. Anxious thoughts from the anxious world. When we replay in our mind what we heard on the news or what we saw on social media or what we're binge watching or what, what someone once said and how we resent them for it or how we're lonely we are or how helpless we feel or how messed up we are or how we messed up again or how useless life seems, seems we're listening to anxious thoughts from the anxious world. The question isn't, are we listening to something? Because we're always listening to something. The question is, who do we let take center stage? And what are they saying? For what we listen to determines what we think. And what we think determines what we do. It's just true that there's a constant need to preach to ourselves. So then what should we tell ourselves? Well, everything, right? Everything the Lord says in his word. In times of need we should tell ourselves, the Lord is my shepherd. In times of trouble, we should say, Jesus said, I have overcome the world. In times of sorrow, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. In times of confusion, Jesus said, I am the light of life. And in those particularly painful times in which we're disappointed in ourselves, we say to ourselves, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We memorize the word so that we can minister to ourselves so that the Holy Spirit can, as Jesus once said, teach us all things and bring to remembrance what he has said. But what about in general? What should we always tell ourselves regardless of the situation? 
What scripture should we bury deep in our minds so that the Holy Spirit can always bring it to remembrance? And the Bible gives an answer in Psalm 103. And here's the opening stanza. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his, all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Bible here says to take center stage and say to ourselves, self, listen to me. Quit listening to anxious thoughts to do what they say. Instead, listen to me and do this one thing I myself command you to do. You, self, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me, the inner me, the real me. Bless his holy name. We're to, we're to tell ourselves to bless the Lord. But what does that mean? What does bless the Lord mean? The meaning of our English word bless is a mess. The Hebrew word for bless, there's two of them actually, but the Hebrew word used here is a complicated word that means something like please another or please the other. So when the Lord God blesses creation, or when he blesses us, he pleases by giving every good thing needed. The Lord God blesses us with children and provision and meaning and work and rest and forgiveness and goodness and compassion and mercy and redemption and satisfaction and healing. He blesses us with his spirit and his word, his salvation, his presence, his love, abundant life and eternal life. He pleases us, blesses us by giving us every good thing. Now the Hebrew word for the Lord blessing us is the same word for us blessing the Lord. And how can that be? How's that possible? The Lord lacks nothing. And everything that we have, he gave us anyway. So how do we please the Lord? How do we bless him? So this poses two questions that we'll look at. How do we please the Lord who needs nothing? And why should we tell ourselves to do this? All right, I'd like to begin to answer the first question about how do we please the Lord who needs nothing with an illustration. Okay, so now I'm no hero as I tell the story. I'm just a dad who, when my son was young, was pleased to meet him where he was. So if you know us a little, we both take great pleasure in the natural world. I love aquariums and native plants, and Noah, my son, is a birder and a bug man. To us, the Lord's creation is endlessly interesting and beautiful, worthy of study and admiration. Anyway, when Noah was little, I started this thing called Noah's Choice Day, where once a week after work, he could pick what we might do together. So we went bug hunting and owling and beach combing. Owling means looking for owls in the middle of the night. Beach combing and mushrooming even where you're not allowed. And when Noah was older, he and I would every now and then let Lori have time to herself, and we'd go off hiking lonely mountains and faraway deserts to see the Lord's flora and fauna. I'm no hero. The Lord gave me the means and the time to bless my son in this way. And I'm not the only one who blessed him. Lori homeschooled and shared her love of reading and art. Just as we were greatly blessed by our parents, our son was blessed by us. But here's the point. Blessing 
is in one direction, from parents to children, just as it should be, just as it says in the Scriptures, for the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. It has to be. For it is parents who have what the children need. The question, though, is the other way. How can little children bless parents? How can we bless the Lord? That's the question. Here's how. Next one. Next one. Noah's maybe seven or eight when he made these cards. He had no money, couldn't drive, couldn't arrange my work schedule, didn't know how to fix things, couldn't really do anything much for me. And yet he blessed me beyond measure by declaring his appreciation for me. Appreciation. It's more than gratitude. It's more than being thankful with what I have. It's appreciating the gift, but it's more than that. It's appreciating the giver. That's how little children can bless their Father, God, and heaven. We can say from our souls, you're the best dad. That's why the scholars say the Hebrew word for blessing the Lord means pleasing him by kneeling with a gift the way we would express appreciation for a king. Our passage further elaborates on this idea and this time I'd like you to say it with me because we're going to learn this passage. Here we go. From verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The passage says, that bless the Lord means to kneel before him with the gift of not forgetting all his benefits. With forget not having a strong and not weak meaning. It isn't don't forget, here's a reminder to do something like take out the trash. It's not your phone pinging to remind you to bless the Lord. That remember here, meaning that the remember meaning of forget not here is is a stronger meaning, not a weaker meaning. It is the stronger meaning of remembrance, not just remember, of not forgetting because it's so important, of commemorating with parades and fireworks, of speeches made for the ages and songs sung and memorials with the words carved in stone. There are two million people around the lake when the Warriors first won in Oakland to see their championship commemorated. It was so important to the town. I don't remember anything else from that day. Any of my anxious thoughts, anything I had to do, the commemoration and appreciation pushed everything off center stage. And I'll never forget it, even though I only made it to the jumbotron a mile away. And when my dad's life was remembered at his funeral, the Navy flew four jets over in the missing man formation with three continuing on and one headed straight to heaven, commemorating the importance of his life to many people. There's not one worry of that day that I can remember. Nothing. The commemoration and appreciation took center stage in my life, and I'll never forget it. Commemoration and appreciation. I think that's the wider meaning of bless the Lord. 
kneel and commemorate in your mind the Lord who forgives all your iniquities, all of them, every last one of them, past, present, and future, so that we would be holy and blameless before him. Hold a victory parade in your mind for the Lord who heals all your diseases, all of them, even the last one, when he heals death and gives us eternal life in him. Fly the jets in formation through your mind to remember forever the Lord who redeems your life from the pit, making broken things new and ruined things right and lost times sweet. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. Sing the ancient songs of old in your mind to the Lord who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, gracing your life with the sweetest understanding and compassion. For a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench. And then give a hand-drawn Father's Day card to the Lord who satisfies you with good. Because every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the, heaven, of the heavenly lights who does not change like a shifting shadow. Bless the Lord. Kneel before him. Commemorate him. Appreciate him. Fly the jets in formation in his honor. Make a big deal about him. In your mind, in prayer, in worship. Bless the Lord. That's what I think it means. And what sets us apart from every other thing we think is that blessing the Lord is not about us. It isn't dwelling on our troubles. We're to take all our troubles to the Lord and not dwell on them, trusting that the Lord will answer us in the day of trouble, as it says in the Bible. And it isn't going along with what the world honors, with all of its self-congratulation and its self-justification. For as Jesus once said to his enemies, that which is highly esteemed among people is detestable in the sight of God. And most importantly, it's not about the gifts in life, but rather the giver of life. For there is a great difference between cherishing the good life and cherishing Jesus. No, the passage says, bless the Lord who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good. It's who, not what. Blessing the Lord is commemorating and appreciating who he is, not just what he's done for us or what he has given us or what he calls us to do. Blessing the Lord's not about us. It's about him. All right. Why should we preach to ourselves to bless the Lord? Well, one reason is the way Psalm 103 is written is no accident. The Lord says what he wishes to say in the way that he wants to say it in his word. And the point of Psalm 103 is preaching to ourselves. So that's reason enough. But also, it's healthy for us not to dwell on our troubles. And there's great pleasure in appreciating someone else. The kind of pleasure that comes from it's better to give than to receive. And this especially, it is a way to, the lo to love the Lord back and experience the pure joy of mutual love. It's nothing like mutual love. There's, it, nothing's worse than unrequited love. It's nothing better than mutual love. And this is one way we can love the Lord back. But here's the deeper question that's behind it. Why should we even have to tell ourselves to bless the Lord? Why is it that our anxious thoughts take our center stage 
and shout down any appreciation we have for the Lord. It would only seem natural to bless the Lord who forgives all our iniquities, who heals all our diseases, who redeems us from the pit, who satisfies us with steadfast love and mercy, who, who crowns us with steadfast love and mercy and who satisfies us with good, who in essence loves us with perfect love. It would only be natural to bless the Lord, and yet it isn't, is it? The writer of Psalm 103, King David, recognizes this dilemma. Why would you even have to tell yourself this? And he squarely faces the reason that's lurking in the subterranean shadows of all our minds. The reason is, do we believe or not believe that God really loves us? That reason. He really loves us, all of us, even the wayward, even the cold-hearted, even the mean-spirited, the unstable, the confused, even me, with my past, with Bathsheba, with what I did to Uriah, as King David did. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Do we believe that the Lord really loves me, loves us? So the psalmist takes a hold of himself with that question in mind, pushes the anxious thought away, and for the rest of Psalm 103, he says to himself just what he needs to hear about God's perfect love. And that love is so profound and so sublime and transcendent that King David breaks into poetry and song. Here we go. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And with the gospel in mind, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, the Lord then inspires King David to continue to say to himself just what he needs to hear about God's steadfast love. Not just great love, but steadfast love. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. And then he ends by saying to himself that, therefore, it's just only right for all of creation to bless the Lord, to kneel before him, to commemorate him, to appreciate him, to fly the jets in formation in his honor, to make a big deal about him in everything. And he ends, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All right. 
I find in myself that blessing the Lord doesn't come that naturally to me. I'm thankful for what the Lord does for me, but that's not the same as being appreciative of who he is. However, I'm absolutely convinced that the Lord wants me to bless him, to kneel before him, to commemorate him, to appreciate him, to fly the jets in formation in his honor. And I'm convinced I'm to tell myself to do this one thing often and consistently in any situation instead of listening to my anxious thoughts. So the question is how to make this my habit of life. Certain I'm supposed to do this. How do we make this a habit of life? Well, like anything that the Lord commands, it's a skill to master. It's a discipline to practice, a habit to learn by doing. And skills and disciplines and habits always start with his word. So it seems to me the first step is to learn this psalm. At least the first verse, bless the Lord, O my soul, and with all that is in, within me, bless his holy name. Or maybe the first five verses, or maybe even the whole thing. And when our anxious thoughts are shouting, the Holy Spirit will bring it to our remembrance so we can preach it to ourselves. All right, let's say it one last time. Say it with me together. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, since your youth is renewed like the eagle. Oh, beautiful. All right. As we close, I'd like us to take a moment in silent prayer to do just what we told ourselves to do, which is to bless the Lord. So if you would all bow your heads, bless the Lord in your mind. Lord Jesus, you're my Savior, my healer, my redeemer, my refuge, my king, and my God. You are merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. You are gentle and lowly in heart. You're the light of life. You're the bread of life. You're the good shepherd. You're the way, the truth, and the life. You gave your life to forgive my sins and to give me eternal life. You and you alone are the satisfier of my soul. You are the best dad. And I love you. Amen.